good morning. I've enjoyed being here so far and just been blessed in, in our time together of worship. And uh, it's just it's good to be together and, and uh, sense God's presence here. Today I want to continue talking to you um, about work and understanding work from God's perspective. And one of the things I want to just remind you at the outset is when I'm talking about work, I'm going to tend to, my vocabulary tends to describe it a bit as our jobs and vocation, and that's not intentional. I mean, it, it encompasses that. But I'd like you to think of work much, much broader than that as any task, anything that you do um, to accomplish tasks, to meet needs, whether you're paid for it or not. So I would just say, if you're old enough to understand what I'm talking about, that you are probably actively doing some work, whether that's chores at home or all kinds of things. And so um, as I reference work, think about it in that, in that context throughout the day, throughout the morning. The other thing I would just say is that if you're sitting here thinking that three sermons on work is probably enough, I have good news for you. That is the intent. <laughs> this is the last sermon I plan to do on it. It is a... Uh, topic that I feel pretty strongly about because we spend so much of our life doing it, and I don't want us to miss God's perspective on it, but I did struggle a bit with the idea of doing three sermons on it. So I want to do a little bit of review, and then we will we'll jump into this morning. Uh, the topic is work changed by the gospel. So we looked at, uh, at God's original purpose for work, and largely out of Genesis. The four truths that we took out of that is that God is at work. The second one is that God created mankind to work. And so again, reminding us that work is not the curse. Work was cursed, but it is not the curse. Uh, work is actually a gift to man. And even the book of Ecclesiastes would call it a gift to man. Uh, point three is work is one of the primary ways we love God and serve others. And I hope that we can, can build that out a little bit today. The fourth is my work is a stewardship. So that is God's original design for work. But if you read through the book of Genesis and experience your work, you have to realize that sin changed things. And so for the next one, we looked at the curse and the impact of that and the, some of the pitfalls of work. And so uh, these four things were guarding a right perspective. Number one is guarding our identity. The tendency is to find my worth in what I do. So at least for myself, and I think it's true for all of us, our hearts are very prone to make idols out of anything. And our work becomes one of those things that can become an identity. The second one is value, putting the wrong value on what I do. So making sure that we don't put the wrong value on what I do. The third is motivation, being motivated primarily by what work gives me, rather than what I can give to others through my work. The fourth one is security, seeking, seeing work as supplying my needs rather than God supplying my needs. So the question that I've been wrestling with and thinking about for a couple weeks is, how does the gospel change work? And specifically, how does the gospel change the curse part of work? Does the gospel change the curse? Does the gospel impact the curse? that's placed on work, that work has become difficult, and there's a certain futility in it. And just curious what is going through your mind. Does the gospel change the curse? At least one brave person is shaking their head, yes. <laughs> Wayne is grinning at me. Mary has her hand up. Related to 
Okay, Mary says, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a, a great text and a great point. So the good news is that I, I want to just, I mean, what I would like to talk about is that, yes, the gospel does change work. The gospel even changes the curse. But to think about it another way, does the gospel change the curse of death? Absolutely. Death, the power of death is completely gone, but death is not completely, we don't see that, that victory fleshed out entirely. And I hope that by the end of today, we can see that the same is true with work, that the gospel has changed work, it's changed the curse, but the curse is not entirely removed. But Christ, through redemption, uh, gives us purpose and meaning, and our labor is not in vain. There is a, there's an eternal perspective that, that the gospel is introduced uh, into our work. I'd like to just share these four points by John Piper before we get into today. And today what I'd like to do is look at some New Testament scriptures and then one Old Testament and just lift out a few very basic truths of how, how that through the gospel, through Christ in us, we can look at work and, and the change that has happened. But John Piper, he was writing on why does God will us as Christians to work? And he said, number one, when we work in reliance on his power and according to his pattern of excellence, his glory is made known and our joy is increased. Number two, by working we provide for our legitimate needs. Number three, by working we provide for the needs of those who can't provide for their own. And number four, as a way of building bridges for the gospel. So those are kind of foundational truths that I think you'll hear come out of the scripture today as we get into this. I'd like to look at First and Second Thessalonians primarily, and here you have a church that was established with people from all walks of life, but likely most were, there was, there was a group that were slaves, most were just common workers, and there were a few that were wealthy, but probably not a huge amount of wealthy people in this church. And for some reason, there appears to be confusion on what, how does our everyday work fit into Christian life? And for whatever reason, you had people who were stopping work. And they were taking advantage of, of the command to, to share with others and to meet needs. And so you had people who were taking advantage of this. We don't know why they were doing that. Some of the theories may um, include, it may have been a wrong understanding of the second coming. So the second coming is right around the corner. And so what is the point of working too hard in just everyday life? So that, that was one thing that maybe have happened. There may have been the thinking that, you know, this life and our work just doesn't really matter that much. Um, and it may have just been good old-fashioned laziness that here's an opportunity to have other people, other people meet my needs. So that's the context of this. It's interesting to me that 1 Thessalonians, Paul opens up the letter this way, and work is a theme throughout both books. And he opens it up in verse 1, and he says, he remembers your work of faith, your labor of love, and your perseverance of hope. So anyway, I thought that was interesting as, as uh, work is one of the primary things that is addressed. So I'm going to pick this up in 1 Thessalonians 4. And again, we'll look at a few New Testament passages and then at the end highlight some of the key truths for today. So 1 Thessalonians 4. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. 
But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So one of the things that we know about this church from the letter to the Corinthians is that there was, there was a, well, I don't know what all was causing it, but the, the churches in this area, um, they're described as going through extreme poverty. So they were likely in a situation where there was a lot of needs. But interestingly enough, these are the churches who actually supported Paul. And so he's saying that he knows that they are practicing brotherly love. Um, they're already doing this, but that they should, they, he's urging them to do it even more and more. And, and this would include meeting needs that people have. Verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we have instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So the direction here is to grow in love, but they're to aspire to live quietly. And the word quietly has the idea of just a settledness or an at peace. There's a, there's a peacefulness about their lives. So they are to live quietly, to mind their own affairs, and to work with their own hands. So here comes this idea of, of the command they are to work with their own hands. And the point of all of that is that it impacts our um, witness to outsiders and that we don't have to be dependent on anyone. So I want to just point out that the word quietly does not mean that we're not actively engaging culture or actively sharing the gospel. It doesn't mean that at all. I think back to Dave's sermon last Sunday about being and making, Christ, uh, making disciples of Christ. Um, one kind of sideline note on this, as Anabaptists, um, historically we have got, have, the name has been applied to us of being the quiet in the land, which is understandable when a group is fleeing persecution. But I would just encourage us to, again, that does not mean, that's not what he's talking about here of being quiet in the sense of being quiet about our faith and proclaiming Christ. But there is a peaceful settledness and a work um, that defines our life. So we're not to be dependent on others. And just to clarify here that this means in a wrong way. So we obviously are designed to be dependent on each other as a church. There are times when we're needy, but we are not to be dependent on anyone where we're taking advantage of them. So again, just the idea of working with our hands, don't just think income. There's all kinds of things we do to meet our own needs that gives us the opportunity to, to turn around and to bless other people with that. A quote from the commentary, uh, The Theology of Work, on this passage said, The apostle plainly regards work as one way believers may honor God, show love to their fellow Christians, and display the transforming power of the gospel to outsiders. So here's the first letter, pretty clear on what they should do. Let's jump over to the second letter and see how things are going in the church here. So 2 Thessalonians 3, and things have, have gotten more, uh, he's certainly more strong and forceful in, in addressing this issue here. So 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us, so the word here for idleness has the idea of being unruly or undisciplined and, and again, just not, not applying um, themselves. And he's commanding the church in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to keep away from a brother who, who handles himself in an idle, unruly, or undisciplined way of, of taking work seriously. 
It's a pretty strong, pretty strong command, isn't it? And why does it matter so much that if we're followers of Christ, that idleness should not be a part of a part of our life? Let's keep going in the passage. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So Paul was there, and it would have been fine as the, in his work for them to support him. But it says he worked night and day, um, in, his, in the work of tent making to give them an example of, of how honest work enables us to share the gospel and meets needs. Um, and so they were, he, was, he did that intentionally to give them an example. And then he goes on, For even when we were there, were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So this is a verse that gets referenced uh, sometimes when maybe children are not into their work, um, that this is, this is a command that they had. So when he was there, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And I want to just point out, the key, one of the key words I think here is not willing, and that is very different than not able. So somebody who is able to work but was trying to get out of it, he was saying they shouldn't even eat. They should not continue to take advantage of people. We are called to care for people who are not able to work or can't meet. We're always called to, to meet needs for those who truly can't. Um, but he's saying that when we were there, that was the command uh, that they had given. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Isn't that ironic? So not busy at work, but actually very busy, just being involved in kind of what's going on in everybody else's life. And it's having a, a very negative impact on the church. And was just thinking about, um, I think, is it in Timothy where it talks about widows that are to be on the list? And, and again, this, this warning or that language is there that when, when we're busy taking advantage of people, it can actually cause a lot of problems. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter... Take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So I'm going to just uh, back up a little bit here and, and think about what, so thinking about the curse of, that was placed on work a bit and what changed. And as we think about the garden, Adam and Eve were given work to do, but did they have to work for their food? In the garden, did they work for their food? I don't know fully, but it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like the trees were there, and they were given work to do beyond working for their food. And so the, what changes, one of the things that changes at the curse is they are to go out, and their very active rebellion was wanting to be self-reliant, that I'm, I want to be reliant on myself. So God had provided them food, and when he sends them out of the garden says you're actually going to have to work very hard for it, and it's, it's to get bread and to get food. So man, God is, is letting kind of the natural effect of sin, that here was something he was going to provide, and now our work has become about providing food. And even think about this, that prior to the fall, 
there, wasn't, there was not even the need to wear clothes. We were clothed in God's glory somehow or another. So every morning that we get up and we get dressed and we go work to provide food for ourselves, it is a reminder back to the curse of what, what happened because of sin. And so I wonder, I don't know for sure, but I wonder is that why God ties the thing of, you know, if you're not willing to work, then you shouldn't eat. Because the whole, the whole point of the curse is that you're going to need to go out and work to provide what God said that he was going to provide for us. So I don't know. That is something to think about. And um, again, I'm so thankful for the gospel because the gospel changes things. And yes, we do go out to provide for ourselves. But in Matthew, Jesus says, when it comes to food and, and raiment, I know what you need. He provides for us through work, but it is God providing for us um, behind all of that. So that's the passage in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, let's go to Ephesians and we'll look at a couple more passages here before we lift out some of the, the key points. So this is in Ephesians, and I'm not going to read all of this, but the first part of this is talking about the change that happens inside of us. And then he addresses five specific sins. And I just want to draw attention to, to verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, during, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So you want to talk about a a complete transformation. Here you have, you have a thief who is trying to bypass work to meet their needs. And when, when that person is changed on the inside by Jesus Christ, it goes from stealing to get what I want to working honestly to have something to give away to other people. And that is the gospel completely changing, uh, changing somebody from, from the inside out. So I don't know about you, if you've ever had, had something stolen uh, has anybody here had things stolen from you? And, and just the, the feeling that is inside of, of, at least for me, of anger, and man, that just seems so wrong and, and violated that somebody would take my stuff. And anyway, God probably wants to work in us <laughs> when things are stolen too. But I was, I was just thinking about earlier this year, we had we'd got a little, just a little pool for Annika to play in. And... I put it outside of our fence so it wouldn't kill our grass. We've got this big, this big open field there. So I put it out there, and the kids were playing in it. Took the water out of it, and one morning it had gotten drug off, and somebody had actually spent the night sleeping in this little pool. So then after they were done with it and moved on, I was going to come to church, and I got the pool, and I put it inside of our yard because I thought it's, you know, it's broad daylight. Um, it's inside of my fence. Surely nobody will take it came to church and came home, and sure enough, somebody had taken that little pool. And, you know, they apparently needed it, but it just irritated me, and <laughs> it just made me angry. Um, so anyway, I don't know, maybe God allows these things so we don't hold to our stuff so tight. Um, but again, want to circle back to when God changes us with the gospel, we go from, how can I do, how can I get what I want with a shortcut I'm willing to work hard that I can actually share with other people. That's the work that God does inside of us. Even in the Old Testament, this concept is there throughout the book of Deuteronomy. The children of Israel are told that they are to give to others that God may bless all of their work. So 
that's one of the reasons that now, as followers of Christ, um, we work hard. Okay, I want to go to Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. And these are our parallel passages, and read these, and then I'll point out a few things here. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And also Colossians 3, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So jumping back to Ephesians 6, that we're called to serve, uh, whatever position we're in, we're called to serve with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, and not in a way that's trying to make yourself look good. And it's amazing to me that even in this context, someone who is working hard and serving as if they were serving Christ, God says this is doing the will, doing his will. That when we work hard in that context, it is doing his will. And further, he says that he will reward us. So whatever work we do, and this goes back to the concept that Mary mentioned, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free, regardless of our situation. So anything done in obedience to Christ Anything done for his glory will be rewarded in heaven forever. So anything done for Christ, for his glory, will be rewarded in heaven forever. Jumping ahead to the, back to the Colossians passage here, um, putting our whole heart into something and, and doing it well is clearly God's will. He tells us whatever we're working at, to put our heart into it, to do our best, and then he says that we are to do that as if we are serving Christ. But beyond that, he actually says you are serving Christ. When we're working hard at what God has, put, what God has given us to do, um, he actually, in verse 24, says you are serving the Lord Christ. So just want to think about what, what are these passages telling us? That at the end of the day, who are you actually working for when you are cleaning house, cooking a meal, working in spreadsheets, working on cars. Who, who are you actually working for? And it's easy to lose sight of this and think that we're, you know, we're just meeting our needs. We're just taking care of what needs done. But we're actually, again, if we're doing it out of love for Christ, we are serving Christ himself. Um, you know, I had to think about if, you know, if I got up in the morning and I pour, I pour a bowl of cereal, well, that's just for me. And I, I look at that a certain way. Um, but let's say that a few of you all are coming over for breakfast. I would probably approach that preparation and that work a little different than if it's just me. And so I just want to encourage you, as you go about your work, it's always more than just you. It's actually always, if we're walking in obedience to Christ, it, we're serving Christ through the work that we do. 
So in our house, uh, school is a big part of life right now. We have somebody who's just starting, somebody who's about right in the middle, and one who's about two-thirds of the way through. So if you're in school, God gives you the chance to go for 12 years, which if you do the math, comes out to 2,160 days of school. And that probably starts to feel pretty mundane after a while. But I just want to encourage you that if you are doing what your parents and what God has, has for you in life, as you go about those 2,160 chances to come here or at home or wherever you are, you actually have a chance to serve the Lord, and there will be a reward for it. Anything we do out of faithfulness and out of love, God in his mercy will reward, um, and in his, his kindness and his goodness. So whatever we are doing, what I want to remember is that I am always working for an audience of one. It doesn't matter if what I'm doing is noticed or if it is in front of a big crowd. I'm always working for an audience of one. One of the things I think about work that I'm grateful for is that God is at work in and through us at the same time. And one of the things that I find that happens is that as I work, two things happen. Number one is God will reveal my character, and then God will also shape my character in work. So work has a way of revealing your character. You probably have heard this quote. I don't know for sure where it comes from, but it ends up on a lot of posters that every job that you do is a self-portrait of the person who has done it. Have you all seen that, that poster around? or that? It's a, it's, an, it's a quote, and I couldn't track it down for sure. I think it was a guy named Ted Key. But yes, he said, every job is a self-portrait of the person who did it. Autograph your work with excellence. But work actually has a way of changing us. And, and I had asked earlier if the gospel changes work and the curse, and it does. But I think it primarily changes the worker, that it changes who we're working for. The gospel changes how we work and even why we work. And that's the, I guess that's the hope that I want to offer as we, as we think about work, is that it's, it's really God changing the worker as we do it. Another example from my life, uh, when I think about work revealing character and shaping character, so I'll, I'll go back to school days. When I started in first grade, there was a group of us that we enjoyed being in the same class and working together, but we were all very competitive. And it became this little race of how fast you could get your work done, which is probably not a good approach to take to school. But then kind of continued, and so all throughout our, our school years, we were kind of always pushing each other. And so we got to 10th grade, and there was a bunch of us that were like, you know what, if we work really hard, we can graduate after our 10th year. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? So then the school board came to us and said, okay, you guys are kind of in that you know, middle to upper age of the high school. Would you stick around another year because we just want to have a, you know, a bigger group of high schoolers? So we said, sure. So um, me thinking that if some work is good, more work is better, and then the maximum work must be the best. And so I just decided, well, it's my extra year. I'm going to do extra stuff. And so I took a one day a week off of work, and I worked for Choice Books. And I took some extra credits. I was like, well, Tim is doing art. That sounds fun. Sign me up from art, for art. And there's a whole group of people doing accounting. And I don't like accounting, but it probably would be good for me. So I'm going to jump into accounting class, too. So I merrily launch into my year of school. You know what? Like, 
halfway through the school year, things were not working out all that good. And so Ivan dropped out of art class, never finished it. Ivan dropped, I'm not sure if I dropped out of accounting. At best, I may have squeaked through with a poor grade. Oh, and by the way, I had another friend who wanted to take a college class. So I, like, let's do that. So we jumped in and we did a, a dual credit of chemistry that was accredited high school here and at the college. So I jumped into that and I got a whopping D on my first college class. I'm not up here bragging. I'm telling you that work has a way of revealing character. And there was a character flaw in me that said, well, let's just do everything. And thank the Lord that through that, hopefully, work has a way of shaping character. So I'm still prone to all that stuff. But hopefully, God is working in me that, you know, no, it's actually about being faithful in what he's called us to. More is not always better. In fact, sometimes it's a problem. Um, so I just want to encourage you as you go about your work this week, be aware that God is revealing your character and he is shaping your character through the work, whether it's big projects, little projects, if anybody pays you to do it or not. I also just want to think a bit, and we've, we've kind of gotten here already, but does work matter in eternity? And if you read through the book of, Ecla of Ecclesiastes, you, you'd almost feel like it doesn't. You know, what is the point? This is vanity. You leave it all behind. Um, but I want to say that through the gospel and through Christ, through the New Testament, work does matter for eternity that our work does impact eternity. I'm not going to get into the theology of this, but one thing to consider is that Revelation 21 tells us that the nations will actually bring the glory and the honor of the nations into heaven. So what does that mean? Does that mean that things from earth transfer to heaven? Um, and some of you are looking at me, but check it out. Uh, Revelations 21, 24 through 26. One of the things that Ephesians and Colossians tell us very clear is that God, God sees our work and God will reward. And I want to be so clear that what I'm talking about is not earning our salvation. It's not putting work you know, at an elevated spot, but it is we are first called to the person of Jesus Christ and then he calls us to work. And when, when we obey him, there's rewards. Not that we deserve it or not that we earn it, um, but their work does matter um, in eternity. And I want to be very clear that we are not measured in comparison to other people, and we are not measured by the quantity of work we do. We are measured by the faithfulness to the opportunities that God gives us. Um, this is a quote from Your Work Matters. He, uh, he says, What will ultimately matter in eternity is our faithfulness right now with the resources and responsibilities that God has given us. Thinking about relating to Christ, um, he has brought us into a relationship with him that will last forever. He's at work in us and through us. And so I, our work will matter in heaven. And I believe we'll actually work in heaven. I think it will be very different, but I think that we will work in heaven and it will be a restoration for what God had intended. All right, I want to look at one Old Testament scripture and then uh, wrap up with a few, just a few observations here. This is coming out of Exodus 35, and then at the bottom there is a, a verse out of, of uh, chapter 31. So God, when he had brought the children of Israel out of Israel, or out of Egypt, 
and had said they are to build the tabernacle. And it's all of these specific plans because God's presence is going to be there. It's a foreshadowing of, of the church. And I want to just read some interesting verses of what God says about equipping and, and uh, how this all worked. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Earlier, I just want to read this uh, one verse here, and, I, and it, it basically says the same thing above it. He goes on to say, And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So here we have, in the Old Testament, God saying that he has filled people with his spirit, and the result was an equipping to do work that is very, um, we don't think of it in the terms of spiritual work. And just one of, you know, one of the things that, we're tend, that we tend to do is we tend to categorize work. Uh, in the U.S., we talk about blue-collar work being more manual labor, white-collar work being more uh, knowledge work and thinking, and then you have the arts. We tend to categorize. And it's so interesting to me that all of those things are represented here. People doing just hard work of cutting stones and things. God filled them with knowledge to actually teach other people. And there's a very, very artistic element to all of this. Um, and so I just want to have us think that God gifts us. He wires us. He just creates us in a certain way. And he also empowers us to use the gifts that he has given us um, for the furthering of his kingdom. And he uses all types of gifts and skills to do that. So God has created you with work in mind. God is your designer and he has equipped and empowered you by his Holy Spirit. One person that has impacted me is Andrew Peterson. He's an author and a musician. He says this, that as Christians we are called to proclaim the gospel and the coming kingdom using whatever gifts are at our disposal. So we are called to proclaim the gospel and the coming kingdom using whatever gifts and talents that God has given us. So in, in thinking of it, wrapping all of this up, lately we've talked about the church being an embassy. And I think that's right. The church is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. It's a group of people called out. Believers are ambassadors. And we are called to go after gathering, to go and just serve and use our gifts and our talents to speak about Christ and to make him known and to reveal his glory wherever we can. So whether it's paid or not, recognized or not, your work this week gives you many, many chances to live out the gospel, to share the gospel, and just to point others to the redemption of Christ and the change, uh, the, the change that he's worked in us. So I hope that, if nothing else, the whole point of, of these three messages is that we can really think through and live out the implications of the gospel and Jesus changing our heart and how we work, why we work. 
and what God is doing through, through our work. All right, five things that are just uh, in wrapping up, and these are very simple, but hopefully um, can get to the core of what God, um, what God is doing in our work that's been changed by the Gospels. So number one, God is at work in and through you. So God is at work in and through you. And again, the idea that God is equipping us and empowering us is so comforting to me. Two, you are working for Christ. So if you are following him, don't think in terms of the specific task, but stay focused on who you're working for, that you are actually working for Christ. Three, your work can bring glory to Christ. And again, even if it doesn't feel like it does, if we do it well for his glory, we can bring glory to Christ. Number four, he will reward all work done for his glory. He will reward all work done for his glory. And five, the work that you do now has eternal impact. The work that you do now has eternal impact. Thank you for your attention this morning. Um, thank you for, for listening and coming along in this journey of three, three sermons. I, you know, one of the, the dangers of, of preaching on topics this big is there's a lot of things that are not said, um, and I hope you hear this for what it is, that I'm not trying to elevate work out of, a, out of its proper place. We are relational beings. We're called to rest. We're called to do all kinds of things, but most of our life is spent working, and it has meaning because of the gospel of Jesus, our work can go on and, and have eternal perspective. So thank you. Uh, let's stand and just want to ask God's blessing on us today. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for who you are. God, I want to thank you for the gospel. Thank you for coming and buying us back, Lord. Thank you for um, just bringing us back into relationship with you, bringing meaning to work, God, thank you that you equip us and you, in your kindness, you work through us and you allow work to have eternal impact. And God, those are things that we cannot do on our own. We simply want to work out of response to you and who you are um, and what you're doing in us. Um, Lord, I pray for each of us here throughout this week, um, the opportunities that you bring along to us to, to work for your glory. I pray that you would work in us, that our motives would be for your glory. I pray that you would establish the work of our hands. And God, the, the little amount of work that we do, that it would be work that you could use that would just speak of you and speak of your kingdom and uh, point others to you. Um, that's our goal. We want to be your disciple in everything we do. Uh, we love you and just commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.